<laughs> 鬼岛之音 Ghost Island Media. Welcome back to the Taiwan Take. Today, Part Three of our security series: a conversation with INDSR researchers on one of Taiwan's most open and hence influential social media networks. No, it's not Facebook. It's an old-school bulletin board called PTT. Today's discussions are based on a report called "A Pilot Study on PTT in the Context of Influence Operations." This recording was made earlier this year after the report was first published. Today's episode is supported by the Institute for National Defense and Security Research in Taiwan, a think tank dedicated to fueling knowledge-based policy analyses and strategic assessments on Taiwan's security. Cognitive warfare—that's a chunky term. In the defense and security research community, this term is old hat. It is warfare without the sounds of guns. 没有炮声的战争 It is waging the battle in the minds of an adversary so that the adversary believes your narrative. They do as you do, or they surrender before any shot is fired. Think of it as brain dominance. It's not so far-fetched. In military terms, there is air superiority or domination of the skies above. There is naval dominance or command of the seas. Brain dominance and cognitive warfare are important to understand because it is part of the Chinese Communist Party's strategy to erode our democracy and other like-minded friends. Most recently, the Institute for National Defense and Security Research discussed this kind of warfare in its annual assessment report on the CCP's political and military developments. The Taipei Times newspaper headlined its news article about it as "quote PRC propaganda unrelenting." End quote. Newsweek used the headline for its news article quote. China wages cognitive warfare to topple Taiwan's government. End quote. Social media has become the platform for conducting cognitive warfare. More than half of the world now uses social media. A rough average is that more than 14 people started using social media every second in data as of October 2020, compared to a year ago at that time. Last year, social media users in Taiwan accounted for 88% of this nation's population, tying it with South Korea for number two spot and higher than the global average of 51%. Number one in the ranking was the United Arab Emirates. This then begs the question. How does the rise of social media aid and abet the bad guys' use of cognitive warfare? Today, we are going to look at the largest Chinese-language social media platform that is unique to Taiwan, PTT. Yes, just three letters: PTT. Thing about PTT is that. Journalists and reporters likes it. Politicians thinks it's a very important platform. That's why it can be a magnifier in Taiwan's media environment. It's not because of 
how many accounts they are saying the same thing. It's where they choose to say all these things, and that's PTT. Just look at Taiwanese news. How many news? It's from PTT every day. They cause a lot of impact on politics. We speak with two scholars who have been part of a deep dive study on this platform. They will talk about what it means when they say that PTT is an anti-communist base camp. These are global issues, and this is the Taiwan Take. I'm your host, J.R. Wu. Welcome to another episode. Mr. Otis Tsai, Tsai Rongfeng, is not only a policy analyst at INDSR, but also a non-resident fellow and part of the Young Leaders Program of the Pacific Forum, a well-known policy research institute based in Hawaii. In the past four months alone, Otis has joined invitation-only virtual conversations at the Stratcom Summit organized by the European Values Think Tank from the Czech Republic, and the annual PLA conference, organized by the National Bureau of Asian Research of the U.S. Dr. Zreming Hong, Hong Zreming, is an assistant research fellow at INDSR. His research field includes Europe's defense industry and supply chain security. He has in the past year broadened his research interests to include India. Raming has been a fellow with the Kautilya Fellows Program organized by the India Foundation, and he has also participated in Track 1.5 exchanges with U.S. and French think tanks. Both scholars helped to co-author chapters of INDSR's flagship reports, just published at the end of last year, about the state of the Indo-Pacific region and trends in defense technologies. They are young, they are promising, and they have just wrapped up a busy 2020. Welcome to the show, gentlemen. Happy New Year, everyone. Thank you for having me here, JR. This is Otis Tsai. Um, I'm currently a political analysis of uh, Division of Defense Strategy and Resources with INDSR. Uh, hello, everyone. I am Hong Reiming from the Division of Defense Strategy and Resources of INDSR. Let's get to it. You both are principal investigators on the research we want to talk about today. It's the world's largest non-commercial, forum-based, open-source, online bulletin board system in the Chinese language. An easier way of saying it is it was a project that came out of the mid-90s, an early form of the internet, while Line, Facebook, YouTube, Instagram are responsible for Taiwan's high social media penetration, PTT remains a dominant force in Taiwan. What is this three-letter thing? PTT is an organic body derived from a democratic society. So we leave all kinds of footprints and it's transparent. So when you're doing something here, you definitely left some crumbs for us to, to understand you and what you're thinking behind your logic. So this is very important key for us, why we choose PTT as our research target. PTT has been operating since 1995. It grew rapidly in late 90s and early 2000s. 
and today it has 1.5 million registered users and more than 500,000 comments per day. So, Raymond, to put some of those numbers in relative terms, 1.5 million registered users. Taiwan has nearly 24 million population. Mid 1990s, gosh, we're half a century out, and this platform is still fairly popular. And it's a text-based platform, is that right? It's unlike Twitter or Facebook, where lots of photos go on it. Yeah, people often draw Reddit as an analogy to understand PTT, but actually PTT is more in the category aligned with SGTalk in Singapore or Whirlpool in Australia, which is a text-based forum covering all topics in our your daily life. And try to imagine, let's say Facebook never turns into commercial, so users can pause an article or leave a comment, similar to Facebook arrangement, but each comment often to have a like or boo to show their attitude toward this post. So those posts which across 100 likes threshold tends to have a better chance to attract more attention. Now I got a chance to read this report of yours, 118 pages, I think, and、uh, in it, one of the reasons for PTT is because a lot of folks who have gone through university are registered on the system. Another number to relate to is close to. Half of Taiwan's population, aged 15 years and older, are using or have used PTT. Now, Raymond, do you use PTT? Yes, of course. I use PTT for more than maybe 20 years. On PTT, it's you always get a place to go. You always find a home to belong to, because it has a variety of boards. You know, in the beginning, in the nineties, everyone students, but now more and more users they become moms and dads in their mid thirties to forties. How representative is PTT, or is it just linked to a specific generation of people? If you look at the numbers of users, PTT is definitely not as large as like Line or Facebook, but however, it is the model. We actually make authoritarian regimes feel insecure because it actually leaves a model for democratic societies as a defense weapon or mechanism, where some sort of big issues happens, and then people from different positions they can communicate with each other on that platforms. And this kind of models, I think CCP want to destroy them and make it not that trustable. They don't want to see this model to spread out to other places, especially Chinese-speaking areas. PTT is so popular and so unique. It has a great reputation in terms of information sources. Today, we continue to see journalists to cite articles or comments in PTT. I think PTT can continue to live and to influence public opinion in Taiwan. New internet jargons and where to find them? It's PTT. So many trendy terms on the media's. They're mostly created on this platform. Tell us more about PTT and、uh, put it in the cognitive warfare sense for us, gentlemen. PTT is a you know it's a, anonymous and transparent. So. You may not know who's behind those、um, accounts, but all footprints and IPs are public and traceable. So this is this kind of balance between、uh, transparency and privacy of PTT makes it one of the most popular social platforms. 
And I suspect also makes it much easier to research because it's an open data governance system. Yes, and also a very interesting place for those influencers to do their experiments. So, um, you know, like let's raise a case. How does a supermarket sell a certain brand of candy at the price two hundred dollars per package? The simplest solution to the owner might be let me just put another brand of candy which costs two ninety nine next to it. So you'll feel like, oh, two hundred is cheap. So、um, this is an example of anchoring effect, which is a type of cognitive bias commonly used in business. But now try to imagine to replace the term candies with candidates or governments. Here we go. This is the prototype of cognitive warfare. Uh, we can relate company warfare and PDT because PDT, I think, it play a very important role in social movements. The most significant case is Sunflower Student Movement in 2014. Student protester occupy Taiwan's parliament to oppose an agreement between Taiwan and China. Before and during this occupation, they discuss and mobilize on PTT. It also shows us the power of PTT to lead and to construct public opinion in Taiwan. I remember dreaming. It was kind of like how the Arab Spring or Occupy happened. It was a grassroots from social media upwards, especially for younger students. They voluntarily go to a parliament and to support this protester to give them some food and to report what really happened inside. So I think this is very unique in Taiwan democratic history. Yeah, I remember. You know, like. PDT is like a pre-Facebook Facebook to me. So I remember back then, like everyone on every board, no matter what kind of、uh, hobbits you have, everyone is kind of referring to this movement. So it become like a trendy terms. As long as someone is talking about this, you wanna click and have a look on that article. So I guess it become an enabler for this、uh, movement to spread out across the students and、uh, different communities. That's a pretty influential platform, certainly back in 2014. Now, in your research, one of the takeaways is that PTT is an anti-communist base camp. Now, as I understand it, what you mean is that it's really tough for pro-CCP narratives to take root on this platform. Well, in this report, by analyzing the context of the post and event timeline, individual and the group behavior of accounts, we're being able to understand how these manipulation could be done and try mapping each piece in this puzzle. So, the key of conducting, we we realize that the key of conducting influence operations on any social media in this、uh, report we refers to PDT is to trigger the users. Sponsors, therefore, creating a mirage of majority is quite important. So we did find some suspicious personas, such as double personalities and temporal hibernations, and some attempted manipulations like news headline mon- monetash and、uh, sorting hat. So kind of like fake accounts. Well, you know, on PTT, it doesn't always refers to account as fake. However, the intention of saying something is not that genuine. So, for example, like a news headline montage is to relay some sensational news headlines to stimulate users without revealing 
the influence, real cultural background. And the sorting hat is a type of um, United Farm work trick, like by intentionally and alternatively use two different ideological terms to force the readers sorting themselves, such as the term if you use COVID-19 or Wuhan virus, then it can reveal like what kind of position you're taking. Now, I know you guys have uh, shared and discussed this research with, I think it was roughly 50 organizations, institutions, think tanks, uh, government agencies on influence operations and cognitive warfare. So this is um, tactical. Raymond, tell us a little bit about the big strategic view of why the CCP would even want to target this little platform in our little Taiwan. Okay, I think we are aware that China is not a democratic country, so people cannot vote and elect their leaders. So for leaders in Beijing, there is a serious legitimacy problem to conquer. So they need to persuade people not only in China, but also in the world that the Chinese regime is so good that it can be a model for all the world. Online propaganda became the main battlefield for China and how to make this course more attractive and to share its story globally at the center of China's cognitive warfare. So in our research, we, uh, we try to use Mao Zedong's strategy, the protracted war. This is a book that uh, was put together. This was from Mao's speech back in 1938 era. Yes, so in this book, we can distinguish CCP's strategy in three stages. The first one is to defend the homeland by creating a great war online. The second stage is stalemate. And this is the current situation. That means the CCP tries to penetrate Taiwan and other democratic countries' media by purchasing traditional medias or manipulating information via new media channels like Line, Facebook, or PTT. I think uh, Reporters Without Borders, they put out a very uh, big report a couple of years ago about how CCP media is purchasing other medias around the world. Yes, since the traditional media like newspapers or TVs, they are getting older and older. So for younger generation, we use Facebook, online, Twitters. So they try to find a new way to penetrate Taiwan, especially for young generation. Since the sunflower still the mirror, they know the people, the, especially the young generation, they don't like China or the Beijing. So they need to concentrate at least part of Taiwanese population to gain their popularity. And they must get on social media if they're going to be able to talk to that segment of the population. Yes, so I think we can see there is an evolution in terms of CCP's strategies. So, Raymond, you were talking about a three-stage, um, and the second one was stalemate. Go on. So the final stage, after Beijing learned organic experience from previous stage penetration by uh, traditional media or new media channels, we all fight back in the domain of media and to control the global discourse. For them, this is time to construct or to lead public opinion in the world. So is it fair to say what Taiwan has seen in PTT and how it may be infiltrated or distorted, 
This is what we also see in Twitter or Line or Facebook. Yes, I can say we can say、uh, the special of Taiwan is we speak the same language. So if China or Beijing they want to conquer the online community, they need to at first conquer the Chinese language environment. So I think the Taiwan experience we can see how they control their strategy and to. To manipulate the information.、Hmm. If I could,、uh, I would like to add yes, one point.、Uh, after Sunflower Movement, I think most of the users they're aware of Chinese straightforward types of propaganda. So now some of pro-China discourse need to hide behind some third-party. Cap to spread out. For example, like oh, I'm just a nobody and living in somewhere, and I'm figuring out our government is so you know like how how can they do this to us? If this is in China, it won't happen. You know, like this kind of like a proxy actor, something like that. Like it's a little bit like in between the marketing. So、um, I would say that the logic behind it is quite similar. If you try to. Uh, manipulate something on other platforms because cognitive bias. We're talking about this term. It's actually a judgment bias. Come with a certain specific pattern, which is mainly due to the fact that people build subjective social realities based on subject feelings rather than objective information. So this kind of bias can lead to a distortion of. Perceptions or inaccurate judgment, anything you can refer to as irrational thingy. That's the magic weapons. How、uh, the external influencers they like to use. So、um, as what、um, Raymi just mentioned, by tracing these footprints on PTT, even combined with other discoveries, our goal is to conceptualize the logics behind all this warfare. In our report, we define some suspect clusters. These users have a similar political stance, and they log in to PTT at the same time of day. And some of them appear only on weekdays. Some users they disappear for several years, but they suddenly come out just before the election. So we can say that they have some special motivation to intervene or to say something. So in in general, in these clusters, there is not much pro CCP discourse. But this does not mean that there is no room for China's manipulations. Since the enemy of my enemy is my friend, so we observe that they try to support opposition parties and post a lot of articles and comments against the government. So the goal behind that is to make conflicts and chaos in our society. That's a little scary. I'm going to、uh, flip some pages here because it just occurred to me what you just said, Raming.、Um, one of the really interesting findings that I thought the Taiwan lessons useful for other multi-party democracies because having all these different parties means the enemy of my enemy is my friend. So what you're saying is, even if the three of us here are Taiwan parties. The CCP just has to lock on who they don't like the most, pick their enemy, and just be friends with them. I think it is really a very serious question for all democratic countries facing a Chinese cognitive warfare and information manipulation. I think we have an inborn disadvantage because we need to respect democratic values, freedoms of speech, freedom of press. 
So with today's new technology, it becomes more and more difficult to identify whether this information is wrong or not. And we cannot easily forbid this information or this kind of discourse before we verify it. So I think we have at least two ways to counter back. The first one is we need to reinforce media literacy. People should have some basic knowledge to evaluate the quality of information. And the second one is to tell a better story. What we are facing is a storytelling contest. So we need to be more active instead of just defending ourselves. And I think a successful development story with democratic values, in my opinion, is far more powerful than any other inauthentic information. I love that storytelling contest. Hey, from all of us at Ghost Island Media, we hope you're enjoying this episode. The goal of the Taiwan Take is to bring you in-depth conversations on matters important to Taiwan and as they relate to the world. We were recently nominated for a News Podcast Award at the Excellent Journalism Award in Taiwan. To help us speak to more people, donate to us on Patreon at patreon.com slash Taiwan. Now back to the show. So I get push notifications from media that I follow, like the New York Times, anytime Twitter or Facebook takes down accounts and they, you know, make these announcements for thousands of accounts that come down at one time. Now, PTT with 1.5 million users, how many do you have to study to find the suspect ones? The thing is not how many. The thing is, what's the timing? Now, this combating disinformation's time loop is only merely within two hours to six hours before it's spreading into major media. So uh, for me, I'm doing something more like the narrative analysis. So you actually can sense that if this post will become a talking point on evening talking show or, or major media, and then you're actually doing this by analysis, hidden intentions behind those words. I know you gentlemen want to talk a little bit about bringing things to present day, the UK virus variant, and also items related to India. Please tell us more. So intriguingly, several influence operation patterns from CCP seems to be conducted against Taiwan before they showed up in other states. So one of the patterns is the portraying designed perceptions. It's a little bit like climate change. It fabricates a mirage to tilt cognitive away from reality. The purpose is to prepare the background for disinformation hotbed or mirror the truth to belief. For example, like in the UK, discovery of COVID variant in UK, we can actually see a trend on social media now arguing either it's fair to name as British variant or others will say, oh, some democratic countries merely hold a double standard against China. Like all of a sudden, those CCP propaganda narratives in the past, convincing ever to those who actually fall into these psychological games, people actually believe in these narratives. So these kind of um, cognitive bias manipulations could undermine legitimacy of WHO investigation in Wuhan and make people forget that the original purpose was to hold CCP accountable in CDC transparency, which is totally not the case in UK. You know, so they create some new reality for your brain to believe in. And so you forgot what's the real reason, what you were thinking in the first place. 
So what we try to do in previous research is to um, to understand what is the procedure of CCP's conquering warfare. With these tools we created, we can follow and catch the key movement in PTT easily. For example, for the moment, the PTT Gossip Board announced that they want to forbid political articles in order to make the board return to its original spirit, be more gossip. So this has encouraged a lot of discussion regarding the utility and the legitimacy of this policy. And we also find some pro-Beijing's users accuse this policy as a conspiracy between government and the board masters in order to monitor the speech in PTT. So I think with these tools and the procedure created in previous research, we can catch it very quickly. Research advocacy. That sounds kind of like what you're going at. Yeah, I mean, like in the future, this is more like um, preliminary studies ahead of more explorations. For example, like myself, I probably conduct further study into those strategies behind cognitive psychology and CCP United Farmworks combined in such operations. I'm thinking, you know, terraforming the political climate sounds very useful also to understand the topics what I've been devoted to, such as China in the Pacific Islands regions and the Sino-US competition in space. And also one new topic I'm going to explore is how to big giants, their competition in emerging technologies. And then this may transform the global strategic export control mechanism as well in the very near future. So for me, I think the first one is to complete the theory of protracted war. We have established three stages. The first is China tried to buy traditional medias. I think there is still a lot to be discovered. So the first thing I will do is to complete this research to be more comprehensive. And the second thing is to compare China's influence operation in the world, especially in Europe, because I got my PhD in Belgium, and we see a lot of Chinese influence on academic freedoms in European uh, universities, uh, issues about self-censorship. I think this is very interesting, and uh, we can provide some insights for our European colleagues. And the final thing is identities. Taiwanese identity regarding China, I will continue this kind of research, make it related to defense industry, which means I will do some research on techno-nationalism in defense industries. I will try to categorize different types of self-reliance national defense industries. And I will cooperate also with some Indian think tanks in terms of the situation in Indo-Pacific regions. What lessons can Taiwan take itself from PTT? Yeah, now there's another platform called DCAR. It's even more popular amongst uni students. Since you have new technology, uh, new platforms, you also introduce new problems like trolls, bots. People need to really look carefully into this. And also, you know, like PTT, it's kind of force the users to leave the footprints because it's a very early stage platforms. But in the future, next generation's platforms may not ask people to do this. And also, people thinking that PTT is declining, I would say it's still influential because all these former uni students now getting into their 
mid-30s or 40s, that should be the decision-making class. And it should be noted that it was PTT where Taiwan's health authorities found the first idea that something terrible was going on in Wuhan in December 2019. Uh, I think for me, the, the problem is not platform. It depends on our knowledge and our, our values because the lesson from PTT is, I think for China, it is it become more and more difficult to play this kind of strategy again. For example, if we compare the U.S. election in 2016 and the French election in 2017, we can say that this kind of strategy became more difficult to succeed because we have already know the regular forms of this kind of manipulation. So people have already understand the dangerous or the logic behind it. So the most important thing is we, we should learn how to evaluate the information we receive, no matter from what platforms. Um, from the experience we've done doing the research on PTT, I actually realized that this is a text-based platform, so it's easier for you to understand the narrative directly reading it. However, next-generation platforms, it's more like based on pictures or videos, and those kind of deepfaking technologies or like the way to forging fake photos. I think it, those approaches is probably in the future we need to uh, do further studies into it and then so that we can understand how these narratives can be transformed into another perception things, you know, like what I've just mentioned, cognitive warfare. So different types of stimulus could get different response. And it might be very useful to understand how you use them in a sort of combination way. Now, before we wrap up, tell me if uh, I have it wrong, but uh, I guess I'll pitch uh, a little bit about your uh, research on PTT. Um, you can find it on INDSR website, and it was a collaboration between INDSR, the Institute of Information Industry, as well as DoubleThink Lab. It was a cross-disciplinary team of uh, social impact researchers such as yourselves data scientists, coding engineers. Now, I think we can say this. We had some uh, former cyber army folks in there. We had former journalists. We had former defense practitioners. So it was really well-rounded report on PTT that I think you guys did talk to the founder of PTT. Yes, it's quite interesting. In Taiwan, we always call this this guy, Chuang Shishen, is like the... Like yeah. he made the world. Even him has really recommended to read our uh, report and uh, a little bit understanding what's going on and what's happening. And those fabrics, you may not feel a little bit spooky. Wow, it's been fantastic having Reming, having Otis uh, talk to us today. This is JR with the Taiwan Take. This has been a Ghost Island Media production based in Taipei, Taiwan. Today's episode was hosted by J.R. Wu and produced and edited by me, Emily Waiwu. Our researcher is Alice Ye. You can find part one and two of the security series right inside our feed. Find the Taiwan Take on every podcast platform, Apple, Google, Spotify. We're also on Amazon, Pandora, and iHeartRadio.
Stay safe if you're listening from a COVID-heavy area, or if your country is opening back up, enjoy. See you next time.